Good afternoon and welcome to Leveraging Identity and Access Management to Secure the COVID-19 Fight, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. There we go. Little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. We got a few live uh, features, interactive features we're looking forward to today. Of course, questions and comments, uh, feel free to send them in at any time and uh, we will take them later in the program. We're gonna have a little poll later, which should be fun and you could download the deck by using the URL on your screen. Just so you see how we're gonna spend our time today, we're gonna go about 35 minutes or so with our main panel discussion featuring Sri Bharadwaj, Senior Director and CISO with UCI Health, Mitch Parker, Executive Director, Information Security and Compliance with Indiana University Health, and Dr. Sean Kelly, Chief Medical Officer with Improvada, and then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right into the fun, shall we? Um, Sri, why don't we start with you? Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? UCI Health is a uh, academic medical center uh, based out of uh, Orange County, California. Uh, UCI Health, as uh, any academic medical center, has got uh, a huge research uh, capability uh, coupled with a school of medicine that is uh, 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 teaching students to be uh, doctors. Uh, so we've got residents and we've got a series of uh, programs that help support uh, all of our, our students who go through the process. Uh, we do have a large hospital uh, right next to Disneyland. So anybody who comes into Disney and has an event uh, normally comes into our ED. So uh, people uh, people know us from that perspective. We ride off the fire freeway, which is a big, another big draw uh, in Orange County, California. Um, our organization, um, uh, over 450 beds uh, with uh, uh, quite a few um, outpatient uh, clinics as well as ambulatory surgery centers. Uh, well known from a cancer perspective for uh, being one of the sort of places for all of Orange County and a uh, big part in uh, catering to GI patients in the region. Um, that the, Those are my opening remarks, uh, Anthony. And uh, for folks who do not know me. Um, I do a lot of work outside of UCI Health, uh, co-chair of the AHIS, which is the American Executives for Health Information Security uh, with the CHIME organization, and also um, executive committee member for the uh, Cyber Health Care Security Council. Uh, that is a public-private partnership between both uh, health sector and CMS and HHS. Thanks. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Mitch? So, I'm Mitch Parker. I'm the Information Security Officer for Indiana University Health based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. We are a 16 hospital health system with operations all over the state of Indiana. We also have a large amount of outpatient clinics and because of our size and scope, we deal with situations not only with a large academic health center, but also with critical access hospitals in the middle of Hello. nowhere. So we see the full spectrum Hello. of issues. 
And as part of the full spectrum of issues we talk about, and part of them has been dealing with some of the telecommunications Hello. issues over the past few weeks. Can you all he hear me still? I can hear you. I can hear you, Mitch. Great. Yeah, we can hear you. So we've all had our challenges over the past few weeks and our health system is no exception to the rule. So I guess we can pass on, pass over to Sean. Yeah, very good. Sean, a little bit about your organization and role. Great. So uh, my name is Sean Kelly. I'm the chief medical officer at Improvada. I've been there about eight years. We do uh, identity and access management for healthcare, balancing security and access for end users and administrators alike. Um, we're very prominent in healthcare, about 90% healthcare. And so um, uh, that's part of my role. And then also I'm uh, acting, um, in a, um, practicing emergency physician in Boston at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. So experiencing the COVID-19 crisis from the front lines as well as from the tech and vendor side. All right, excellent. Thank you for that. Okay, so we want to be super useful to our listeners today. We know what everyone is dealing with. Um, and so we're going to get right into it and, and talk about our topic, but in light of what's going on. So, Mitch, let me start with you. Tell me about how the influx of COVID patients, uh, and when we say COVID patients, we mean people who think they have it and may not have it, we don't know. Um, has affected your health system's IT operations. So what's the effect on IT overall and you as a security professional, and how have you tried to respond? Well, to tell you that right now, IT responds primarily to issues dealing with this event would be the understatement of the week. Everything we do now is focused on the incident objectives. And when it comes to security, that means that we have had to rapidly change how we respond to our customers. To give an example, it is not only with our own organization, but also with our third parties. And that's an area where I believe a lot of people have not taken into consideration. Our third parties are being affected just as much as us and a large focus of my team has been on addressing the issues from third parties rapidly moving their workforces to home settings just as much as with in-house. In-house, of course, we've had a lot to do, obviously moving people to a telework setup very rapidly has not been without its challenges. We're very thankful that we did a lot, what we call a lot of pre-work starting when I got to Indiana for basically pre-qualifying a large amount of platforms. That way we knew we could, when something like this happened, we could literally pull something off the shelf and go here, use this. We were thankful we were able to do that. However, the, again, I'm gonna reemphasize the challenge has been with the third parties and a lot of our third parties like every other healthcare system in the world have followed the sun operations be it technical support for medical devices or even billing and coding everyone's got operations outside the united states in that support their business in some way shape or form whether you're a 25 bed critical access hospital or you're a 2000 bed hospital in new york city you are affected worldwide. So there's a 
cascading impact and we literally have to evaluate every situation as it comes up to make sure we're meeting incident objectives and more importantly, meeting the needs of the patient. A quick follow-up, Mitch. You talked a little bit about some things you've done to, to put you in a decent position uh, or a better position than you might have been. Tell me uh, what some, at a high level, what does that mean? What are some of the things you've done and, and sort of how do you define an organization that's better equipped to deal with this than one who isn't? What does it look like? So the deal what we've done is we've done a lot of pre-work on certifying items such as collaboration platforms. So we worked to, as we brought in new technologies, we have a third-party risk team that looks at them and we look at the scope and we looked at the scope of what we certified. That way we had like a basket of solutions we could pull out because we had already done due diligence on them. So I'm going to give a perfect example. Last week when they issued the guidance on telehealth, we had already evaluated a number of solutions because of scenarios that we had encountered. Perfect example I'm going to give is tumor board. We have tumor boards with Indiana University School of Medicine, which means that I've got physicians from all over the state of Indiana who are attending virtual tumor boards. So this is a scenario, I had this when I, came, when I worked at Temple Health and I got it here now, where they gotta collaborate, I gotta make sure it's, I gotta make sure it's compliant with a security rule and prove it to our lawyers. So part of what I did is pre-certified a number of platforms because of collaboration requirements for tumor board, we were able to rapidly turn that around. And when telemed when the relaxing the telemedicine rules happened, we said, yeah, we can use our telemedicine platform, but if we can't rapidly onboard people on the air, we have options A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and H, because we had pre-certified for tumor board, pre-certified for instant messaging, and pre-certified for a couple of other uses. So it's about knowing what your security capabilities are and being able to effectively say, hey, we've used it for A, we can also use this for B and make sure that we're in compliance with the security rule, which by the way, that ruling on telemedicine said you still got to do that to the best of your ability. Okay, very good. Very good. I want to follow up on that in a little bit, but Sri, I want to, want to go to you. Tell me um, what's going on uh, at your shop. So, from our perspective, we've always had uh, the ability to work from home, so that's not an issue. Uh, the issue that we, we more experience is around uh, provision for virtual care, right? So there's a lot of uh, tools, technologies that are out there uh, that can be used for virtual care. Um, uh, we use uh, the Zoom platform for virtual care capabilities, and of course, like every other uh, organization that has been struggling with uh, uh, video conferencing and uh, you know every, and everybody works from home you everybody's on conference calls so it does impact and put a stress on the uh, zoom platform as a whole but uh, because of our relationship with zoom we're able to keep it going uh, make it work work effectively and functional from that perspective number one number two our security processes policies procedures uh, surrounding uh, identity and access management uh, were tested purely because now we've got uh, several people are performing different roles in the organization traditionally, but now because of the way uh, they are changing the way they perform traditional roles, 
Um, there, for example, we pulled a nurse who was on the floor who could not, um, and uh, who who was providing support for patients on the floor. We've got a lot of nursing who is in surgical areas, which we had decided to reduce our elective surgeries. Now we've got nursing folks who could do, um, you know, um, who could provide support for patients in other parts of the hospital, right? So uh, changing roles, changing um, uh, identity from a access management perspective was another key factor. We have a process, we have a structure, we put that in place, fairly straightforward and simple. The last thing I think is connectivity, right? We have a lot of people working from home. Uh, we have various capabilities uh, connecting via VPN, via Citrix, remote desktop, all capabilities possible uh, for all of our, our folks to actually attend and get to keep their things going. Uh, we did not uh, decelerate any major events or activities for us, um, but we allowed our, our, our people to work from home as much as possible those that were delivering direct patient care, obviously not, but anybody outside of that were, uh, were, were able to work from home uh, without a problem. Very good, all right. Uh, Sean, what have you been hearing from your customers? Sri, I'm glad you mentioned the staffing issues because right now yeah. hospitals around the country are staffing up and also um, just like you said, trying to move people from different areas to another to help with possible staffing um, holes in the schedule, either due to you know providers getting sick and quarantine or even needing to retask to uh, different roles. Um, I know in some of our own hospitals, we're making sure that our ICU nurses and our ER doctors um, are on calls that are, uh, you know, 10, a list that's about 10 deep to make sure we can rotate staff to different areas. And, you know, as you can all imagine, our customers are dealing with this issue, both from an access standpoint, making sure that the providers have access to the systems they need and can jump right in to access their EMR and see patients and transact and order things. Um, but also, but you know, just the security and compliance behind that is is huge to be able to provision and then eventually deprovision these providers as they rotate um, from one location to another. So it's not just increasing staffing, but it's even as as Sri said, it's managing those roles properly. Um, so having a good identity and access management system can be key from both aspects, both from you know access, but also from the security and the provisioning and deprovisioning. So we see this as a huge need out there. Places that have good technology are doing this very well and rapidly and able to get same day access for providers and really adjust their, their, their staffing. Places that don't are running into real issues with it. Excellent, thank you very much, Sean. All right, next question. Uh, I would imagine, as we mentioned, you have uh, lots of people working remotely, trying to provide remote services to patients, so a lot of remote, all of which, which means extending the enterprise. So um, <clears throat> we've got security professionals here as well as a physician, but if we could talk about both these issues, uh, I'd be interested to hear about it. The security implications of extending the enterprise and network capacity issues. Um, can we start with you, Sri? The, so from a capacity perspective, we, we've always watched for the capacity. Luckily for us, uh, we had additional capacity that we had not utilized. Um, we did not have to go and buy a ton of additional capacity for us. But 
we do have a network of uh, relationships with uh, the utility providers, and uh, we've got obviously uh, several development lines that we could use uh, to go from here. If that if that if that helps uh, to build that capability for us, uh, we can channel our our traffic uh, using firewalls that we placed at the um, at the perimeter. Uh, we can channel the data. We can channel the firewall to you know do quality of service across multiple levels of uh, requirements, and uh, have been fairly successful in delivering that value back to our customer. All right, very good, Mitch. Excuse me while I had to unmute myself. So bandwidth is always a challenge and it continues to be one. And it's not just the bandwidth that we have, but also with the various cloud services that we utilize. So I'm gonna bring an example up. I mean, we've been fortunate with the bandwidth that we have, however, the concerns that, I, that I've been having with remote workforce have been with the various cloud services being used for conferencing because over the past week, the cloud services have been overloaded. I'm going to give, it, give an example. WebEx had to turn off their analytics because they needed the capacity for WebEx for the conferencing. That's one example I can give. And I can tell you I've heard from other vendors that they've had similar issues. So right now there are there is a lot of there's a lot of capacity issues period. A very large portion of the workforce already was remote. I mean one side effect of EMRs and Sean I can laugh at this one has been the implement has been that you had doctors charting at home at night. I mean I remember the biggest increase I ever had in remote access was implementing an EMR from a certain company in Wisconsin <laughs> because the number of physicians that want to remote access quintupled after the and quintupled after go live. So I think we were well positioned with remote access. It's just right now bandwidth capacity and determining what's important and more importantly what can we cut in case we need it. I've actually taken a look at the bandwidth numbers for my organization. And I can tell you that the business services that we utilize are actually significantly less than YouTube or TikTok. So you can imagine which one we're gonna look at restricting access to first. <laughs> very good, very good, Sean. Uh, clinicians working remotely, uh, you might be one of them. Uh, talk about the effects of you know, you want to be able, you want to have security, but again, as with anything with security, you want it to be too onerous or folks like yourself are really not going to be very happy using it. So your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, Rich, Mitch is right on the money about this. Um, you know, when you describe the fact that even before COVID-19, we had an increase towards physicians and nurses and others accessing the system remotely. Um, of course that brings security issues. Also those access issues we talked about, and the borderless environment in the hospital now, um, you know, really there was a trend, just like you said, with charting after hours, um, you know, doing, um, doing your work off time. And then now um, we see a huge uptick in so many places are, are just making cataclysmic changes to try to clear out room and prepare or deal with increased volume around COVID-19. And so, you know, places shutting down entire parts of their business like elective 
and um, non-urgent visits and replacing that with virtual care, uh, remote visits, or just having their workers, physicians and nurses included working remotely whenever they can. Um, you know, we're doing things like, you know, in our, in our ER, for example, at a certain point, we as the ER attendings and nurses need to actually see the patient. But things like consults, where we used to have a consultant come in and perform a big, long history and physical right at the bedside, we're now trying to do as much as we can over telemedicine to avoid that potential exposure of those providers to potentially infected patients um, for obvious reasons, right? Um, and so the more we do this, and the more that a lot of these um, elective and non-emergent visits are being canceled, rather than canceling a lot of places, provider systems are shunting those to telehealth visits. Well, you talked about the increased load. Everyone in the world is working remotely and, and, on, and a lot of people are staying at home with social isolation where, like you said, you know, people are downloading films on Netflix, they're on TikTok. I mean, just the capacity issues are huge. And that, that same internet that, um, that, you know, our kids are downloading things on, if you're using those same systems and trying, to, and trying to have the same bandwidth involved for telemedicine, for example, you know, it's up, to, it's up to Sri and Mitch and everyone in the IT and security side to actually protect some bandwidth and, this, and, and, and mark off the security of areas that really are business needs and clinical needs. So huge uptick in remote access, huge need for security, and the technology to do that well and do it easily can make all the difference between, you know, being able to run your, your clinical care and business or failing to do so. Very good. All right. Next question, Mitch, we're going to go to you first. Do organizations that employ an identity and access management approach have an advantage in this type of environment because they are already set up to extend the enterprise? Meaning if you are focused on identity, a perimeter is less critical. Does that make sense? It does because ultimately here's the deal. And a lot of organizations are, gonna, are now going to have to think of surge staffing. So if you have identity and access management, even if it's rudimentary, you, it's not about having a technology solution. A lot of people mistake having a technology solution for having a process. You've got to have a good process because if we get to stir staffing, it's not a matter of if now, it's when, we have to rapidly bring people on board. People with these types of systems are more prepared to address rapidly onboarding large amounts of people as opposed to organizations that are not. It's very simple. If you have a good process, even if you have the most rudimentary IAM system in the world, then you're able to rapidly onboard people and address customer issues and address the surge and be able to conduct business better in very uncertain times. Sean, any thoughts on this? I uh, totally agree. Um, you know, gone are the days where you could just create a firewall and feel safe within it. Um, we talked about workflows extending beyond the four walls of the hospital, huge uptick in usage. And so really identity is the new perimeter. Uh, it's the control plane really by which we expect most healthcare systems to now dial up or down that security. And there's this concept of zero trust, right? I mean, um, you really want to verify your users are your users. If you have a good idea, idea on what those identities are and uh, can control that, well, then you can make it, make it really easy for those that legitimately need to get in, like your doctors, nurses, and others, 
and you make it a lot harder for those um, that, you know, the more nefarious characters out there. And, you know, this crisis is really bringing out the best of the best, but unfortunately it can bring out the worst of the worst too. And, you know, as we push and really try to MacGyver systems to, you know, both from an operations standpoint and a, and a clinical and IT standpoint to do everything we can to fight this epidemic, we're pushing the boundaries, um, both for scale and, and the ability of these technologies to withstand the load that we're putting on them. And by doing that, we're, we're, we're being very innovative and we're actually using systems almost beyond what we thought they could be used for. So it's a, there are great lessons to be learned. But with that comes a higher degree of risk. And with that risk, there are a lot of uh, entities out there and the cybersecurity risk is real, phishing attacks are real, fraud is real. And unfortunately, we're seeing an, a huge uptick in attacks there. So you have to be as vigilant as ever, perhaps more so, while trying to open the systems up. And identity is really the only way to do that well. Sean, I want to ask you, um, as a physician now, in this environment we're in now, you probably have a lot of people like Sri and Mitch having to have conversations with physicians about things that the physicians want to do, things the organization wants them to do somewhere else, do it here, do it there, do it remotely, do it this way, security implications perhaps of things they need to do differently. Can you give advice to some of our, our um, security IT professionals on the line about how to have those conversations with physicians and have them come out positively? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think, I think from the clinician's perspective, it's almost like um, we, my, our nurses and I were talking about this the other day. It's like our house is on fire and don't come to us and talk to us about anything other than like a better extinguisher or a better sprinkler system or anything that helps with that house fire. Any other concerns? Like we're just not, we're not hearing it. We're really focused on patient care. We're dealing with a lot of non-IT issues, which are just some crazy issues, right? We don't have personal protective gear. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we have staffing issues. Um, you know, we, we have our own issues trying to worry about, you know, am I going to bring uh, COVID-19 home to my, my wife and kids, right? So there's a ton of stuff that operationally and clinically and patient safety wise, clinicians are dealing with. And so you really want to focus on how the IT and the IS side of the house, the house can help clinicians. But actually, Anthony stole my uh, ask a panelist question. Um, and so maybe I will ask that back because the, the hospitals that we see doing really well at this are working with really good leadership on the IT and IS side, like Sri and Mitch. And you can hear through their comments, they were prepared for this. Like they are already scaled up and ramped up. They'd already done due diligence around some of these, um, these systems that they knew might come about. You know, they, they'd looked into Zoom. They'd looked into ways to, to actually push virtual presence. They'd already put an IAM system in place and gotten ready for when remote access needs were going to increase. Um, so, you know, kudos to them. And my question for them was actually the converse of your question you know, how, what are your recommendations, Mick and Mitch and Sri, what are your recommendations to the clinical side of the house on how best to deal realistically with the IT and the IS needs around what they're trying to do to care for their patients? Sri, let's go to you first on that, please. So uh, let's, let's talk about where we are today compared to 
just a few years ago, right? We were slow to adopt the cloud, uh, slow to adopt uh, newer technologies as a healthcare industry, right? As a healthcare industry, we were kind of, uh, in some respects, even today behind the times. Uh, what we've now done is uh, we've now starting to adopt more, uh, you know, the, the perimeter is now no longer within your firewall type scenario or in your data center. Uh, you basically uh, have no perimeter in a way. Um, and then you, you want to figure out um, how you evolve as an organization with tools, technologies, capabilities, and so on and so forth. Um, for physicians, we tell them, number one, uh, get them to understand uh, how security works in their organization, irrespective of what organization they work for. Get them to understand how security works. Why? Because it is, it is the patient's trust that we are talking about here. And the minute you have one of those, uh, you know, uh, what I would call headlines, uh, having a hospital, having a breach or anything like that, uh, really puts the entire hospital system in a bind. Uh, so learn, uh, and as, especially newer technologies are there, uh, learn new technologies and make it, make it helpful work with them. Second thing, uh, physicians uh, have to understand that, you know, uh, we have constraints. Everybody has constraints within we have to work with. So let's help you deliver a better, resilient, scalable, secure infrastructure uh, on how you want to run a platform. Uh, uh, reading something on Google doesn't make you a security expert. Let's get that straight. So that also is a key factor. We want to be able to help you, we are here to help, that our jobs are to keep, uh, how do I call it, the CEO out of the headlines, right? So uh, we are here to help. We are, uh, reach out to us and we will sit down with you and help you understand it. The days, and for CISOs who was on the call, uh, the days of the naysayers are gone. We are enablers, uh, we are leaders, and we have to lead uh, our physicians in a more secure way for them to deliver better patient care. And lastly, I think, uh, you know, Sean, uh, we use tools, technologies, and as technologies evolve, uh, we, we struggle with deploying those technologies with uh, some of the uh, change management, uh, you know, scenarios that we occur every day. And we want to help. We want to help uh, people go through the change in a much more uh, stable manner rather than spurts and this, right? So we want to be able to bring it all together, uh, develop a solution, deliver a solution, and work with us to enjoy that solution that we deliver to you. It's a very different mindset, uh, uh, Sean, when it comes to understanding what the physician typically likes or does not like, because they go to a conference and they pick up some, some fancy new stuff, pick up the vendor said it's great, and then said, yeah, I want to deploy this tomorrow morning in my organization. Great from an ideation perspective, but let us help you deliver a better solution. That would be my, uh, my ask to, uh, to the audience today as well as to Sean. Mitch, you want to weigh in? Absolutely. So my organization is fortunate. We have two associate CMIOs in Dr. Emily Weber and Dr. Jason Schaefer, who have been nothing but incredible for us. And 
a lot of what we've done is we are now sitting in the meetings with the people from revenue cycle and the other components of the organization. It's now it's not a question of do we make it, how do we make it secure? It's how do we make it work? We, the approach we've taken with security paid off because it's now not a question of is it secure? It's a question of workflow. And the biggest item that I have personally seen has been with addressing new workflows and new processes and how to appropriately log those issues. And that is the biggest change that I've seen. So we are working more towards the workflow and not really on security because again, we look at security as it's part of the business. And if you're not, if you're not saying it's part of the business, then that's the first thing that needs to change. Now we're more concerned about workflows and how do we handle the change in the business? Because ultimately what we're talking about here is a change, fundamental change in how we do business to accommodate a global pandemic. So we have to minimize the effects of anything else so that we can allow our clinicians and the people that take care of patients to focus on what's key to the organization and obviously key incident objective, keep people safe. So we're trying to do as much as possible to minimize the effect of it, make sure we still maintain the same security posture, but also make sure that we can accommodate the changes in workflow that are happening very rapidly right now, very specifically with telehealth. Excellent. All right. I want to get our little poll out here, which was just opened. Security breaches will be a major side effect of the COVID-19 crisis, sort of a big part of the story when this is all said and done. Uh, do you agree or do you disagree? So take a moment, uh, about a second, and answer that question. Um, I want to uh, just get this question in real quick because it really interests me. Um, and uh, Sri, let's start with you first. Governance, uh, you know, one of the big things with security in anything uh, in a health system is proper governance that shadow IT, dark IT, gray IT, things get bought all over the place here and there. Often when that happens, uh, security is not taken into consideration. Uh, do you, is there, is there more of that that goes on at a time like this? And do you sort of give it a pass or is just that just not something that you can let happen? Sri, let's start with you. So governance has been uh, one of the key factors why we have been successful as an organization from a security perspective. Uh, we created what we call the CRISP committee uh, compliance, risk, information security, and privacy. So we meet uh, on a monthly basis uh, to understand uh, some of the challenges that we have on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis to figure out how do we provide solutions, number one. Now, that monthly just turned over and changed to, in some respects, even every other day, yeah. uh, purely because there are so many new stuff that we are trying to do that we are we're really pulling it together. So uh, we have our CMIO, uh, Dr. Rutkin, who has been very effective, very useful to bring together Dr. Prey, our ambulatory CIO, and Dr. Dangadora, our inpatient CIO, CMIO, into the discussion. So we've got uh, a CMIO 
and associate CMIO and other associate CMIO, one for inpatient, one for ambulatory, all becoming part of that team to understand from a physician perspective what needs to happen. Then we have our CNIO, who is part of our nursing process to make it part of the same structure. So anything that we do from a security perspective, we have the voice of the physicians, the clinicians, who really needs to happen. And we have our vice president of revenue cycle as part of that uh, committee as well, including her uh, patient access and HIM leadership as part of that process. In addition to that, we have our CTO because he understands what security needs to happen from a technology perspective. And we also have representation from operations. So uh, one of our admin directors uh, is also part of that process. So it's a, it's a what I would call a multifunctionary, multidisciplinary committee that makes decisions not just for IT, but makes decisions for organizations. Uh, the compliance chief compliance officer, the chief privacy officer, and myself uh, run the meeting uh, in order to help understand and drive some of the decisions while the decisions are disseminated through this group to the broader audience. Uh, that is how we structure our governance, and that has not changed in mm -hmm. how we operate for COVID-19. That's been one of the best factors that we've been able to pull together. Mitch, do you agree that you cannot relax your governance and compliance and, and buying processes and, and the guidelines there, even in a crisis? I mean, at some point, stuff goes out the window, but maybe we're not there yet, you know, in terms of uh, rules that, that slow things down. But your thoughts there, Mitch? The truth is, is that everything changes. So right now, organizations, if they're not doing this already, need to modify their leadership to accommodate hospital incident command system structure. The scope and scale of the incident we are dealing with is not something we normally see. And so moving to that type of structure is what organizations need to do to address their governance issues first. Because whereas before this incident, you had a whole host of objectives, now you have a lot less and you need a structure focused on it that takes the leadership from the previous structure, adapts it for hospital incident command system for better response. And yes, vetting of products is part of that because that falls under safety. You need to be able to accommodate for security as part of HICS. And that means either as a specialist or as part of safety or as part of product acquisition, it needs to be in the HICS structure of your organization. And as your organization has its planning meetings and sets objectives for time periods, that anything involving large equipment purchases or any type of purchase in the support of patient care or securing the organization needs to be in there. But I think the big challenge a lot of organizations is, are gonna have is gonna be with the shift in governance from traditional organization governance over to HICS. And that is where people that you previously would not have in these types of positions are gonna be advising your senior leadership. And they need to be aware of security and the requirements so again, we're gonna see that shift more and more over the next few weeks and people need to be aware of this. Sean, you wanna weigh in? 
Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not surprised that um, both these guys come from very functional systems where they've had processes in place. Um, I love both their points, and I just want to highlight two things out of a couple things out of what they just said. Um, Sri talked about the fact that they, they already have a standing governance and committee. It's now more important than ever. But instead of meeting like once a, once a month, it's meeting like every day or every other day. Um, so it, it's certainly there's stress under the system. But the other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, every major player in the hospital that's able to bridge the gap between the clinical, the technical, the business, the uh, security side of the business, they're all there and functioning together. They've got CMIOs, CNIOs, um, you know, CMO, CNO. CTO, every, just about every member of the C-suite is in there in their proper role advocating for their particular part of the puzzle they need to advocate for. Um, and then, you know, Mitch brought up a, an incredibly important point, too. In times like this where you hit either mass casualty or disaster, the incident command structure goes in. Um, you, you know, as an ER guy, I love this, right, because it's like now it's highly operational and in some ways, hospital and, and provider systems that are good actually can get more functional during this time because they, they sort of are really forced to strategically and operationally focus on what really matters. And um, so, you know, we, some of us like to say never waste a good crisis. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you don't want a crisis, but when a crisis happens, if you have the right setup, you can actually react to it. Um, you can be more agile. You can be more nimble. You can be more definitive in your decisions as long as you can react when you realize it's going in the wrong direction. And so, and I think that these guys said it, you see the pace of meetings um, accelerate, uh, you cut to the chase more, you make sometimes big moves for your hospital system, and then you reassess because sometimes, you know, you, you, you went left and you should have gone right, or you need to just course correct a little bit. The governance is absolutely 100% still important. And like you said, you know, more important, the problem is not getting so lost in the detail that you're actually blocking things from happening operationally. And so you need the people at the table to say, well, wait a minute, in the interest of security, we need to do this, but we also have to preserve the ability to actually access the system. And here's how we need to do that. You know, one of the biggest weapons we have in our arsenal is technology, making sure you have the right technology to do this. And that's why experts like CISOs working with CTOs and CMIOs can actually do that. And then when you bring the vendors in, you know, there are certain vendors who act like strategic partners who know when to just listen to what their customers need. And what I've found is, you know, even though nobody wants to take an email right now, I mean, nobody, nobody wants to deal with anything other than this crisis. But when you're a strategic partner, you have friends and when they reach out to you asking for more licenses or, you know, headroom on that license count or, hey, I have a technical issue. Can you integrate with this other vendor? We take that call personally on cell phones, on emails and, you know, working together, it's actually been really inspiring to see how much we can get accomplished in so short a time. And so I'd say the, the governance piece extends even to the business relationships with vendors. And Mitch said this earlier too, you know, really vetting all that out and Sri did too understanding where each vendor is in your ecosystem and how to work with them and then having personal connections and executive sponsorship on both sides, we can really get a lot done in this crisis and have already and we're, we're learning as we go. Very good. All right. Um, to the poll. Uh, let me see. I want to see if people, your guesses as to the results here. Mitch, what's your best guess on the breakdown of the results before I share it? 
I'm going to say that the majority of people are going to agree that there will be more security breaches. Well, that's, that gives you a lot of wiggle room, just saying majority, so well done. I would say close uh, to 75% agree. Now we're talking, now we're talking, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. 75% for Mitch. Sean, what do you say? 84% agree. 84. I got to write down because you'll change, you know, what you said. I know how you are. <laughs> um, and uh, Sri, what do you say? How many agree? I am uh, a little bit more positive about our, our, our folks and hopefully we'll do the right thing in my world. Uh, so I would go with about 60%. 60%. All right. Well, the result is, and I'm going to share that, 80% agree and 20% disagree. So I guess that's going to be uh, Sean. That's going to be well, Sean. I don't know. I think only... I, I, might have, I might have overbid the showcase. So it probably well, goes to yeah, Mitch. We, have to, we need more formal rules <laughs> on the... the... <laughs> I should have bet a dollar. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, we can laugh in a crisis, right? That helps get us through. So um, yeah. let's uh, let's sneak in our Ask a Co-Panelist question. Sean, you've already gone. So, um, Sri, let me start with you. Um, do you have a question? You can either ask the same question to both or one question to either, or whatever you want to do. You have a question for either of these gentlemen. So, Sean, uh, from an Improvada perspective, uh, what advice are you giving to your customers today? And how are you helping your customers to get through COVID-19? Uh, thanks, Sri. Um, call us, we'll, do, we'll try to do whatever you need. We've been doing a number of different things. So from a license perspective, we've been just giving headroom or even free licenses in some cases for people to use over the next few months and we'll settle up later. If you wanna keep them, keep them. If not, that's fine. Just use them to get through the crisis. Um, we've been doing things like um, some places like Yale have used our, uh, our location, um, our identity access management system with single sign-on to track potential exposures to staff. Um, so if you think about it, we know on every endpoint, whenever someone taps in and, you know, depending on the geographic mapping of those machines at the system level, you can actually track if some patient turns COVID positive you can see all the providers exactly when and where they logged in. And therefore, if they had a potential exposure, you can deal with that uh, operationally however you want. Uh, we've had other places looking to potentially link in and, um, and work with um, apps where they're, they're logging providers' temperatures in case they're at risk of uh, showing symptoms. Uh, we've had other places where we've actually been um, using uh, patient devices um, because they're limiting visitors. Uh, for infection control reasons. So we're, we're looking to help them basically give um, iOS and other devices so that patients can check them out and use them to stay in, in touch. I'm sorry, family members can use them to stay in touch with their, uh, their um, patients that are in the, in the hospital because they can't visit them physically. Um, our identity act and access management, our identity governance system has been incredibly useful to help with this upstaffing and rotating of staffing. So we've been um, offering to help with optimizing the batch loads so that you can quickly onboard and provision and get uh, providers up and running um, the same day so they can work, you know, one ICU nurse can go to another um, ICU in the system, things like that. And I think we're, the most interesting part is we've just taken a whole bunch of calls where places are asking either technically 
or operationally things. And we love hearing from them. And then we just, we, we actually have a task force we've created where we can turn it around usually in a day and get right back to them to say, here's what we recommend, here's what we can do. And we're looking into the rest. Very good. All right. Um, before we go, we're just about out of time, but I want to give Mitch a shot to ask a question to his co-panelists. Mitch. So Sean, are you, as part of your task force, are you going to be hopefully standing up a team to help providers address surge capacity using Improvada? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is, first of all, give more room on the license counts and then the identity and um, the governance systems we have allow for really good onboarding and provisioning and then deprovisioning after. And what we have is like the ability to um, normally there's a, there's a whole chain of uh, approvals that need to happen and there's ways that you can work with that to streamline all that to quickly up staff and then rotate people over even within your staff so that they can have the privileges they need uh, even within um, the EHR at the SCR level. It all depends on your roles definition. And so we've got like a hit squad that can help optimize all that. I mean, very few places are looking to put in a new technology right now if they don't already have it, but we have that, that deployed at a lot of large health systems across the US. Um, and then just from the single sign-on and the EPCS perspective, uh, again, a lot, of our, a lot of our customers have that in place and we can simply just increase the license count above what you normally need and then let you get in there, you know, put things into action and then we can figure out and true up later or, or even not just give you those licenses for a while. Um, so basically anyone that wants anything from us should just contact us and we'll do what we can to help out. And, you know, I got to say a lot of our customers have been very creative, particularly around the analytics piece you know, trying to figure out they've got some coders and things and, you know, just compiling reports um, on some of the data about where um, both patients and providers are touching their system and the usage. Uh, remote access is another huge thing. We're giving away just remote access licenses uh, for two-factor authentication so that places can just move their workforce to virtual and still maintain the security. And, you know, we're just kind of giving that away right now. All right. Well, that's about all we had time for today um, regarding continuing education. If you need a certificate for your CEU program, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready to go. If you want to sponsor uh, one of our upcoming events or book a custom event, you can reach Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our, our website to register for our upcoming webinars. With that, I wanna thank our panel very much. I know um, everyone's very busy, but uh, I appreciate you coming and sharing some of the things you're up to, hopefully for the benefit of our audience. Sri Bharadwaj, Mitch Parker, Dr. Sean Kelly, and I wanna thank Improvada for uh, sponsoring this event and making this important conversation possible. And it sounds like from what Sean's saying, being a very good corporate citizen and helping out their customers and non-customers and the community at large. So with that, I wanna thank you for attending and everybody have a wonderful day.